How you doing? You doing good? Okay. Are you guys awake? Okay, talk back to me so that I can preach better. John was right about your resting faces. They're a little bit intimidating. So just smile back at me, act alive, laugh, even if I'm not that funny. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, today, I, I, we're going to be reading from Matthew 8, so you guys can turn to your Bibles. Uh, I, I, this uh, passage is all about uh, a sudden storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know about you guys if you've experienced a sudden storm. Uh, anyone got caught up in a sudden storm? Yeah. We had a sudden storm in our home just a couple weeks ago, probably last week. Uh, <laughs> it was sudden to John. It wasn't sudden to me. I knew what was happening under the surface, and then <laughs> I just kind of like let it out on him, and then I, w I was great, and then John wasn't, and, and that's just what happens when you're married to me sometimes, but you know what? It's good. We just move on from there, but okay, Matthew 8, uh, starting from verse 18, so we're in this uh, sermon series called All of a Sudden, and it's about these suddenly moments with God, and so starting from verse 18, I just want to read here. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. And then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and the birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Wow. Okay. So this is savage Jesus. Can you guys say savage Jesus? Savage Jesus. Okay. He had just finished a whole day of teaching, a whole day of ministry, a whole day of pouring out. And I think the disciples were in this like afterglow. Like they just saw Jesus tear it up and they're like, oh my gosh, it was so amazing. Jesus, I'm going to follow you everywhere. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And instead of Jesus responding by saying, oh, thank you. You're so awesome. I really appreciate you. Instead of that, he's like, really? I'm homeless. Are you going to follow me? I'm homeless. You still want to follow me? Right? And then the other guy is like, no, no, Jesus, I am going to follow you. Uh, I'll follow you anywhere, but I just have to go home and bury my, my father, and then I'll be back. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the spiritually dead. Right? And <laughs> instead of saying like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry you lost your dad. You know, I totally understand. I'll wait for you. I really understand. Jesus is just so savage, and he says this. No, uh, follow me now. Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. And I'm sure this guy is thinking, did Jesus just call my dad the spiritually dead? Right? That is savage Jesus. Sometimes we think of Jesus as that little baby Jesus, but this is the reality of who he is. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? There's going to be a cost. Life might get really uncomfortable, right? Your priorities are not your own anymore. Your priorities are my priorities, right? I'm the homeless king, right? Things are going to get uncomfortable. Things might get difficult for you. Do you still want to follow me, right? And I don't think the disciples are getting it because 
they're like, I think you're talking and we don't understand what you're saying really. You're, you're just talking and it doesn't make any sense because their experience of Jesus was just amazing, right? Everything Jesus touches turns to gold. Everything he does. The blind are brought, and now they can see. The deaf are brought, and now they can hear. The lepers are brought, and now the, in an instant, the leprosy is obliterated, right? Uh, it just uh, the previous verses, it says that um, Peter's uh, mother-in-law was healed of, of fever instantly, right? There was this centurion. He had a servant, and, and the centurion said, hey, Jesus, I need you to heal my servant of paralysis. I need you to heal my servant of pain. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to go. And he's like, no, 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 just say the word, and I know it will happen. And so Jesus doesn't even go to the same room and heals the centurion's servant. And this is the experience of Jesus that they're having at this moment, saying everything gets better and, and better and better with Jesus. Everything gets bigger and better, better and brighter. Everything is good with Jesus. So let's follow him uh, onto the boat. And so they, they follow him. The bad becomes good, right? The sick becomes healthy. The, the broken becomes whole. And we've, they're probably thinking to themselves, we just found like the king of everything gets better, right? The king of everything gets better. That kingdom. We found that guy right now. And that's who we're going to follow because things get better and better. And so here we go to verse 23 in Matthew 8. Then Jesus got into the boat, and he started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, can you say suddenly? Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. Okay, so things were great. They had that great day with Jesus, and then all of a sudden, suddenly, things got really, really terrible. And so they're on the Sea of Galilee, and a lot of these disciples were fishermen, right? A lot of them, they had a lot of experience on the Sea of Galilee. They knew about this sea. They knew about the weather and patterns. And there were sudden storms that would just rise up very immediately on the Sea of Galilee. But this storm was built differently, if you understand what I'm saying. It was different. It was sudden. It was fierce. It was violent. And the word that Matthew used in the Greek was seismos. Does that sound like anything? seismic, like an earthquake, that's what it means, right? This was an earthquake of a storm. And Matthew uses the same word for when he described when Jesus died and when he rose again for this storm. It's the same word, seismos, right? So this is a terrible, terrible storm that they're going through right now. And so the terror of this storm is so bad that these experienced fishermen are thinking to themselves, Lord, help us! We're going to drown! And they're just screaming, Lord, help us! But let me ask you one question. Do you think Jesus knew that this storm was coming? Do you think, do you think he knew that this storm was coming? Absolutely. He knew that this storm was coming, and he led his disciples straight into the storm. And that is my first point tonight, is this. I accept that following Jesus will include storms and troubles. Will you say that with me? I accept that following Jesus will include storms and troubles. Wow. I accept that following Jesus 
will include storms and troubles. That is our reality check for tonight, okay? Jesus led them straight into the storm. Matthew 8, 18 says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. And so that was Jesus' instruction to the disciples. Like, I want you to go to the other side of the lake. And Jesus went with them. So these disciples were being completely obedient, right? They did exactly what Jesus asked them to do. They were completely obedient. They were not in sin, right? They were not in rebellion, right? They were not delayed in, uh, in um, obeying Jesus, right? They did exactly what Jesus told them to do when, they, when he said to do it, right? And so don't you think that if you're doing exactly what Jesus told you to do, that you should be exempt from a little bit of trouble? Yeah, right? Am I the only one, right? Don't you just wish that it would mean that you're exempt from trouble if you're obeying Jesus exactly what he said to do? And we have these notions in our head. I'm struggling with this right now. That if we are following Jesus, I'm working for Jesus, I should be like safe from trouble, right? I should be like a little bit immune to like all the other difficulties that other people have because I'm giving my life to Jesus, right? Um, in fact, we also think to ourselves that if we're experiencing a lot of storms, if we're experiencing a lot of trouble, that probably means you're not doing a good job of following Jesus. Don't you think that? We, we kind of think that. If, if we see someone who's being wrecked right now, we're like, ooh, what kind of trouble are you in? You know, what are you doing, naughty? Right? We start to think that uh, because we think, oh, somehow they've fallen from, like, keeping a step with the Spirit. You know, they've probably fallen from grace. Look at them. Their life is a disaster because those storms look like, you know, in our minds that we're doing something wrong, right? But John 16 says this, verse 33. Read this with me. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, Say, read this again with me. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, this is one of those promises from Jesus that we all, like, don't love, but it is a promise. In this world, you will have trouble, right? But take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is King Jesus. This is King Jesus instructing his disciples to cross the lake to get to the other side. And he knew that the storm was coming straight at them. He's God. He knows everything. And he still led them straight into the storm. But remember that first part of this passage? Remember he said, there is a cost in following me. There is a cost. I warned you. I don't know if you heard me. You were like, you know, you weren't paying attention. But I, I told you, I'm the homeless king, right? There is a cost in following me. I wonder if some of you feel like Jesus has led you straight into a storm. I definitely have. You know, maybe you've heard the, the Lord say to you, move to this city, right? Take that job. Don't leave that husband, right? Adopt that child. Start that business. Whatever it says, befriend that friend. You know, take up that cause. And then you find yourself saying, Jesus, Jesus, what is happening? Why does it feel like all hell is breaking loose in my life when all I'm doing is trying to obey you? 
What is happening, Jesus? What is happening? I thought I was being obedient. I thought I was doing exactly what you told me to do. And in the will of God, there are problems. There are storms. And there are moments that it will look like you're going to drown. But don't let the enemy tell you that you are outside of the will of God just because there's the presence of problems. Right? Don't let the enemy accuse you or attack you or condemn you or disqualify you. You know Job's friends, you remember Job? Job's friends were wrong about Job, right? Don't let the enemy accuse you or attack you or condemn you. And also, don't let the, en- don't let the storm define you. Yeah, Don't let the storm define you. I won't be defined by trouble. I refuse to let myself be defined by trouble. So whatever I'm going through right now, this failed marriage does not make me a failure, right? Losing my job does not make me a loser, right? Whatever you're going through, this trial doesn't get to tell me who I am. And this trial does not get to tell you who you are. You are so much greater than this trial. And, but we see these disciples, and they're having an identity crisis. In Mark 4, it's the same story, but uh, in, in Mark, and it says that the, the disciples cried out, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? But the deeper issue there um, is this identity crisis that they're having that it's not really don't you care, is that I'm uncared for. I'm unloved. I am unimportant, and that feels super threatening, right? I am uncared for. So they're having this identity crisis. Uh, Adriana, this week, she sent me a, a little clip from America's Got Talent. I don't watch that show, but she sent me a clip, and I watched it. And there was this, like, cute young girl. She's, like, 30 years old, and she's going through all this cancer, but she sings so beautifully. But she said, you know, it's very important to know that I'm so much more than the bad things that are happening to me, right? And it's true for all of us. We are so much more important than the bad things that are happening to us. The bad things don't get to be a commentary on who you are. So uh, just recently uh, in June, was it June or May? Anyway, I can't remember. John and I, uh, we went to Hawaii with a friend uh, and some friends to celebrate Rachel's 40th birthday. And it was really fun. And so we went to um, this place called Electric Beach. Have you guys been to Oahu? Probably some of you guys have been to Oahu. Well, they have like great snorkeling there. So uh, it used to be Hanama Bay, or I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that used to be the spot to go to. But now the spot is Electric Beach. And so what's at Electric Beach is that um, it's next to this Hawaiian electric plant. And so this uh, warm water like shoots out like very um, ferociously into the water. And all, all of the fishies are attracted to that warm water. And so if you swim out, you can see like all these fish there. And so I'm like a normal person scared of the ocean. Uh, and so I, I, I made John, yeah, right? I made John like uh, commit to me that he was gonna stay with me uh, and hold my hand while we're snorkeling. And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we, so we get to this beach and I notice like, I have these like rinky-dink little, um, what are these called? fins? Yeah. I have these little things and, and I didn't realize that like to go, to swim all the way out, it's like the length of a football field. I, I didn't know that. And I'm like, I barely swim anymore. But uh, so anyway, um, but I saw people with like um, the fins like this long, 
And I was like, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to be okay, you know. <laughs> I have these little, little ones, but <laughs> I'm going to try, right? So we get out there, and it, it's like it's very hard for me to get out there. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I have to take a couple breaks, and <laughs> you know it's true. Okay, so I finally get out there, and, and then John takes my hand, and he's holding my hand, and, and we're looking at the fish, and it's, it's like so good until all of a sudden all the fish are gone. And then all of a sudden, John pops up and says, we have to swim back. We got pushed out too far. And I look up, and we're like where the ships are. And I don't know what happened. I realize now that what happened was that the, the water from the pipes, it acts like a rip current. And it, it like pushes you out. So if you're not um, careful, you can really get pushed out like super far, which is what happened to us. And so John says, we got to go back. Swim now. Right? And so he like... He, he goes like this, and then he starts swimming. And I, I see the beach over here, but, like, John starts swimming this way. And I'm like, ah, you know, because I'm like, here's, like, the ship right over here. I'm like, ah. So I start swimming, and I don't understand I'm swimming right into that, like, rip current thing. Um, but John's going this way, and I'm swimming, like, to the best of my ability. And I look up, and I'm, like, basically in the same place. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. And I'm just crying, and I start screaming because I'm, like, swallowing water, like, you know, because there's, like, all these waves, and I'm, like, die, and I'm screaming, come back here, don't leave me, and I'm just screaming, and he's, like, you know, I'm, like, come back, you know, and then he's, like, okay, calm down, and he comes back to me, and I was so angry, guys, <laughs> I just have to say, I was so angry, you know, it was very hard, right, okay, <laughs> I was very angry, um, but the thing is, I was having this moment of anger that was, but the thing be behind the thing was like my fears, you know, and the, the fears were completely tied to my identity, like I'm unloved, I'm alone, right? I'm uncared for, right? And it really triggered me, like, deeply, especially because I thought I was going to die, you know? Um, but <laughs> so I ended up um, making it back, thank God, and um, John was like, see, it's okay. You made it. It's okay, right? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> while, <laughs> while I was getting ready for this message, I Googled, because I was trying to figure out, like, why did it shoot the water out? Um, and then this, the, what I read was like, oh, this is an intermediate to advanced site, for snorkeling. So guys, that's what I did. I did an intermediate to advanced site. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> I did. I did it. Okay, but back to our story. I'm not, I'm not ever doing that again. Okay, but back to our story. <laughs> the storm that the disciples faced was so fierce, so violent, so terrible. It was seismos, right? It was that earthquake storm that was happening. And it looked like they were facing their watery grave. Right? And on top of that, on top of that, to make everything just so much better, Jesus is sleeping. Right? Jesus is sleeping in the storm. Everyone else is like throwing up on the side of the boat. You know, like just freaked out, wide awake. You know when you think you're going to die, you're the most alive ever? Like, you know, you're just, adrenaline's going and you're feeling crazy. And, and here is Jesus just sleeping in the boat. And why is he sleeping? Why is Jesus sleeping? And the reason is he was tired. He was tired, guys. 
He had done a whole day of ministry and he was completely wiped out, right? This guy, he was tired. He's completely God and completely man. It's called the hypostatic union where he gets to be completely divine and completely human at the same time. And this is only found in Jesus Christ. But Jesus was so exhausted. But how exhausted is he that not even a violent earthquake of a storm can wake him up? Right? Not even a violent earthquake of a storm can wake him up. So I think he was Noah tired. Okay, so Noah is my middle child. He's 16 years old, and he's so precious. I love this kid. He's so sweet, um, and he loves me so much. But, but Noah gives me trouble in one area. He does not wake up right? He, I'm sorry, he has missed so much school this year because he doesn't wake up, and I often forget to wake him up. So, um, so he's missed a lot of school his junior year. Uh, so anyway, this kid cannot wake up to a normal alarm clock. So we got him like a louder alarm clock. We got him uh, an alarm clock with a bigger display. That didn't work. Then John, he found this alarm clock on Amazon that will shake your bed. Like there's like a little piece. Guys, there's a piece that like goes under your pillow and it like, it like shakes your head. Doesn't work. Noah sleeps right through that, okay? So then I'm like, okay, I, I need to do research. And I found this app where you have, it's so obnoxious. It's so loud. And the only way to turn it off is if you do like math, you know? So I, I, I did this for Noah. I'm like, this is the alarm that's gonna wake you up. He does the math in his sleep. And he goes back to bed. Guys, it's so bad. Finally, John purchased this thing. And let me show you this picture. It is this $150 device. Talk about desperate. Okay, we were desperate. It's this device. It's $150, guys. It's called the Shock Clock 2. Silent, vibrating zapping alarm clock for heavy sleepers and couples. I don't know why it's for couples. I don't know. And so it literally shocks you awake. Like you wear it here because we're those parents, right? Like nothing's off limits. Okay, so, so John buys this thing and it doesn't work because Noah refuses to use it anymore, okay? He says he's being traumatized, whatever, you know. Um, he's waking up in terror. He won't use it. So whatever. Okay, fine. The only thing that works to wake Noah up is my voice. It's so annoying. And so I'll go to his room and like literally in the morning it's like, ah, 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 ah. You can hear all the alarms going off in his room. And I'm walking over. I'm like, Noah, wake up. And then he's like, you know, he like, <laughs> does this like nasty look. It's the only thing that will wake him up. And so back to Jesus. I think Jesus is so completely exhausted. He's that Noah tired. You know what I'm saying? He's in such a deep, deep sleep that nothing will wake him up. Um, but I also think that Jesus is also sleeping that deeply because no matter what his circumstances, he's in perfect peace. Yeah. Right? He's in perfect peace because he is peace. That's who he is. He's the prince of peace. He's in perfect peace. And so not even a seismos storm can shake him out of peace. Not even an earthquake of a storm can shake him out of peace. And there is no anxiety in Jesus. Thank you, God. And he lives 
with perfect faith that coexists with perfect peace. And there's a connection there. There's a perfect faith that leads him into perfect peace. So Matthew 8, verse 25, the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And so everyone's panicked, everyone's throwing up and snoring, and here's Jesus sleeping like a baby, right? But guess what wakes him up, right? It's the sound of his disciples' voices. That is what wakes him up, right? And there's so much, like, happening at this moment, right? Now Jesus is awake. Not only is there this violent earthquake of a storm, but there's also this, like, storm of fear happening within the disciples, right? And Jesus is awake, and he's experiencing it, too. And you can just imagine, like, there's, like, water everywhere. Like, you know, when the rain comes and hits you in the face, and you're blind, and you can't see. And Jesus is awake, and, and the boat is rocking, and he's, like, doing this. And instead of, like, dealing with the storm, he's looking straight at the disciples and saying, wait, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. In the middle of the storm, he, he does not stop the storm. In the middle of the storm, he's like, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? You have so little faith, right? The question is not a rebuke. So don't get it twisted. He's not rebuking the disciples. It says that he rebuked the wind and waves. But he did not rebuke the disciples. He asked them a question. And that question is for reflection because Jesus knows the answer, right? Jesus knows why uh, they have so little faith, why they are afraid. But that question is meant to get us to level up a little bit, right? Why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. And so let's talk about the fears, right? Why are they so afraid at this point? Why are they so afraid? And they're fearful. They're fearful about losing their lives. They're fearful about dying. Fear, fear, fear. It's all about loss. You know, our personal storms, we, we could fear losing our business. We could fear losing our kids. We could fear losing our home. We could fear losing our family. We could fear losing our community, right? All fear seems like it's tied to loss, right? What we could lose. And then the other part of that fear is like trust, right? I can't trust you, Jesus. I can't trust you with me. You're not trustworthy, right? Because from what it looks like, you just led me into the worst place of my entire life. And my life is about to end in a tragedy, the end, right? <laughs> right? I'm about to go into my watery grave and it's about to be over for me, right? But this is my second point. I choose faith and receive peace in the storm. Can you say that with me? I choose faith and receive peace in the storm. I choose faith and receive peace in the storm. Before it's even over, I choose faith and receive peace in the storm. And so if we take a closer look at Jesus, he's our savior, but he's also our model. Nobody else is our model. Jesus is our model, right? So he's our savior, but he's our model, and he teaches us how we can live. And so we can live like Jesus. Even in the worst of storms, we can have peace, right? Even in the worst of storms, Jesus has so much faith in his father and he knows it's about who he's with in the storm. It's about who Jesus is with. And he lives in perfect unity 
in perfect communion with his heavenly father. And he has full faith that his father will take care of him and provide for him, right? And Jesus knows it's not about what's happening to you. It's about who you are with, right? And so faith and peace are connected. Faith and peace. Choose faith and receive peace in the storm. Those two things are connected. Choose faith and receive peace in the storm. So Jesus had peace in the storm. He had peace before things were ever better circumstantially, right? And he's trying to show us that we can live like transcendent of our circumstances. We can live beyond our circumstances. So my peace is tied to Jesus. My peace is not tied to my circumstance, right? That's true freedom right there. My peace is tied to Jesus. And so I choose faith and receive peace in the storm. The whole, this whole week, there's a song that opened the eyes of my heart, Lord. Do you guys know that song? Yeah. It's so old. I mean, John and I sang it when we were dating. Like, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Amen. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you with my eyes of faith. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And Jesus is more important in the storm. Jesus will trump the size of any storm if we truly have eyes to see him. I love this Graham Cook uh, quote. I, I say it all the time. You can wear out the enemy. You can wear out the enemy by your ability to remain in shalom. Wow, you can wear out the enemy by your ability to remain in shalom. He, he just wants to steal our peace. You know, you can wear out the enemy by your ability to remain in shalom. So after the electric beach um, thing, all, all, that whole group of people, they wanted to um, cliff jump. And so I said no. Um, because I don't trust myself to jump off of a wet cliff. Uh, it's like rocky. Uh, I don't trust myself to like propel myself like far enough out that I wouldn't like hit myself like on the on the rock, on the way down, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I decided to not do that. But instead, when I got home, I signed myself for, up for skydiving. And so that doesn't make sense to you. I just saw you go like, what? But it totally makes sense to me, right? And so um, this is uh, me like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, Rachel was not going. She said no. She did the cliff jumping, but she said no to that. But Heather and I, we were there. We were waiting to go. And I just, in my mind, it makes sense. Like, I don't trust myself to jump off a cliff, you know, because I, it's alone. But I, I trust myself to jump out of an airplane if I'm strapped to an expert, you know. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how it is with me and Jesus. Like, I don't trust myself to do anything alone. But if I'm with Jesus, I feel pretty good. Like, I feel pretty, like, I, I can make it through anything with Jesus. Um, and so, um, who you're with is truly more important than what you're facing. Amen? Amen. Oh, by the way, I didn't get to go because, because the, the clouds never cleared. And that's like a message for another day. But anyway, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't safe, so we rescheduled for July. So anyway, uh, I'll, be, I'll be going in July. Praise God. Okay. So um, back to Matthew 8, verse 25. So the disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up, 
and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. And in that same story in Mark, it says that Jesus rebuked the wind and said, shh, silence, be still. Shh, right? And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And this is our story. There was a great and sudden storm. There was a great and sudden fear. And then there was a great and sudden calm. And then the middle of all of this is King Jesus. Yeah, the one who had set all the captives free, King Jesus. The one who was healing people from leprosy. The one who, were, who was setting um, the people free from demonic oppression, right? The one who rebuked fever, right? It was such a powerful display over creation that the disciples asked themselves, who, who is this? Who can this be? Who is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. Man, he is the authority not only in the good times, but in the worst of times, right? He is the authority. He is the prince of peace. He is Yahweh. He is Elohim. He is Jehovah Sabaoth. He is God. And these disciples, they were so afraid of the wrong thing. If they only knew who Jesus was, right? If they only knew, they were afraid of the wrong thing. Psalm 89 says this in verse 8. Oh, Lord God of heaven's armies, Jehovah Sabaoth, where is there anyone as mighty as you, oh, Lord? Where is there anyone as mighty as you? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans you subdue their storm-tossed waves. Wow. He is entirely faithful. But why, if he's so entirely faithful, why did he not stop the storm before, right? Before it even began. Why did he permit the storm? Why did he lead everyone straight into the storm? And I think it's this. This is my third point. I believe Jesus wants to give us something in the storm. So it's, um, my third point is this. I receive every gift that Jesus gives through the storm. Say this with me. I receive every gift that Jesus gives through the storm. And Isaiah 45.3 says this. I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness. Secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of of Israel, the one who calls you by name. This is that savage Jesus, right? I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness. Wow, you're going to lead me in the dark, Jesus? Right? Don't you know I'm scared of the dark? You know, you're going to lead me? You hid things intentionally in the dark for me to get them? Jesus, I thought you were the light. Right? I thought with you things were bigger and better and brighter and, you know, all that. Um, honestly, I don't prefer receiving gifts from the storm. Right? Anyone else? Right? I like things pretty, packaged, with a bow, you know, in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> um, but the storm was, was designed to teach us that you can trust Jesus. I might not be able to trust my circumstance, but I can trust 
the God who is greater than any circumstance. Amen. The storm was designed to increase your faith, right? Your faith is worth so much more than gold. That's what scripture says. Your faith is worth more than gold. And so your faith can't be flimsy and just based on good times, you know? Uh, it's like having a fair weather friend, that, that friend that's only there for you during the good times and then like splits the moment things get hard, right? No, we want to have a faith that is deep, a faith that endures, a faith that is substance, a faith that is substance, a faith that deeply knows that God is who he says he is, amen? Amen. And then the storm is there to give you a greater experience of who God is. These, these disciples, they were like woke in a good way. You know, they know who Jesus really is. Not what they thought he was, like, oh, sweet baby Jesus. No, they know who he really is now, right? They know who he really is, the real Jesus, powerful Jesus, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's army, the one who is entirely faithful, the one who rules the oceans and subdues the storm-tossed waves. And that storm is there to help you become who God is always meant for you to be. In James 1 Read this with me, starting from verse 2. It says this. Let's read together. It starts with my fellow believers. Okay, there we go. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Wow. Amen. Amen. You know, is life about our comfort? No, no right? But sometimes my prayers are directed that way. Keep me comfy, Jesus. Jesus, get rid of that storm. Jesus, get rid of that bad person, you know. Um, or is life about knowing God, about being known by him and being transformed into his image, right? Is that what life is about, right? Remember, following Jesus means his priorities for you trump everything. His priorities for you trump everything everything. And so there's a major difference between John and I in our parenting for him as a father and me as a mother. So I don't ever want to see my children struggle. Like any moms out there, like I really, really hate to see my children struggle. John, on the other hand, is just fine with letting our children struggle. Like <laughs> he is just fine with it. Uh, even when I know that it's like good for my children to struggle and to, you know, I just squirm at the idea of it. But John is just like, nope, it's good that they struggle and prevail or it's good that they struggle and fail, right? It's good for them to go through the struggle because that is what produces growth. And he's so resolute about it. And I think our heavenly father is just like that right? He is working all things out for the good of those who love him, right? And he uses these storms. He won't even withhold the storms because he loves us that much. I accept that following Jesus will include storms and troubles. I accept. I choose faith 
and receive peace in the storm. I choose. And then I receive every gift that Jesus has for me in the storms. Yeah, Isaiah 25, 4 says this. You have been a fortress protector for the poor, a mighty stronghold for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the sudden storm, and a shade from the shimmering heat of the day. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that this is true about you. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God, you are a good, good father. You are trustworthy. You are mighty. There is none like you. You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue those storm-tossed waves. And so thank you, God, for being there for all of us. Thank you, Lord. We invite you, God, to teach us whatever it is that you want to teach us through the storms. And Lord, we accept it that um, sometimes that's what you have for us. Even though it's uncomfortable and miserable and it can feel really brutal, God, we know that you are working all things for the good of those who love you. So that we are mature, complete, lacking nothing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And just keep your eyes closed for a minute. If there's anyone here that says, you know what, I'm actually not on the boat with Jesus right now. (laughs) And I need to get back in the boat with Jesus. Either because I've strayed or because I've never said yes to accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior before. Can can you just take a minute right now and say, yes, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, I want to do that. Or yes, I want to recommit my life to Jesus right now. I want to. I've been doing my own thing, and I'm done. I need to come back to saving knowledge of Jesus. I need to come back to intimacy with the Lord. If, there, if, if that's you, would you take a minute just to raise your hand with me? And then pray with me right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I say, God, that you are Lord. You can come have your way. In my life, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life. Thank you, God, that you are a savior. You are the savior that I need. You save me from sin. You save me from death. And you bring me into eternal salvation. Thank you, Lord. God, we can trust you to lead us, to be our Lord, to be our savior. Thank you, God. We invite you into our lives to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 What a good word. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. I accept that there are storms that are part of the life of following Jesus. That's powerful. And uh, as, we're, as we're in this series, all of a sudden, I didn't really realize uh, when, when we named this series just how, how it would be kind of prophetic, naming it all of a sudden. And in the course of the last couple of months, there have been a variety of all of a sudden kinds of moments. And uh, right now, I get to share some news with you. But let me just put an analogy like this. Uh, how many of you like watching medical shows, like maybe The Resident or The Good Doctor? Any fans of those? Okay, so those are a couple of, uh, of shows that, that, that we've been watching. And in this past season, in both of those two shows, The Good Doctor and The Resident, uh, there, there was Mina on one show that left and had to go. She was a doctor, a resident that got raised up and then had to go move away, go somewhere. And then in the other one, uh, this doctor named Claire got raised up and then she had to go and, and become a doctor somewhere else. And it was kind of a, a theme, right? 
in a sense, that's because a teaching hospital should release doctors who are learning and developing. Centerpoint Church is in some ways a bit like a teaching hospital when it comes to uh, our pastoral team. And over the years, we have seen again and again that this is just something that God does through our church. Like I think about, for example, Jeff Awe pastoring Outpost Church. I think about Claire, uh, the, the Mengs uh, pastoring uh, Becoming Church. I think about Justin Kenton pastoring uh, Living Stones Church. And I could go on and on. And these are people who uh, got raised up here and then released to kingdom, purpose, and destiny. And uh, tonight I wanted to share with you that we're uh, celebrating the raising and releasing of another brother that we have loved and appreciated and seen do so many amazing things in our church body. And that is Pastor James Franz, who's going to be moving to Nashville, Tennessee to plant a church. Come on up, Pastor James. And Brooke. Come on, come on. So as they're making their way over here, so... so uh, almost six years ago, uh, Pastor James and I met uh, for the first time and we were talking about him coming and joining our team as an assistant youth pastor. And I said, hey, if you come, uh, I want to make sure that you would be with us for uh, at least five to ten years. And, and we're just over the five-year mark. He's kept his commitment. <laughs> I wish we were towards the other end of it, but uh, I'm excited about what God is doing in Pastor James and Brooke's life to bring life and bring God's glory and the message of the gospel to the Nashville, Tennessee area through planting Champion Church. And I want James to tell you a little bit about it. First, I just want to say, you know, this has been one of the hardest decisions for Brooke and I to make. I mean, <clears throat> we didn't say yes to a strategy or an opportunity or another church. We said yes to uh, that. what we believe is God calling us uh, to the Nashville area. And, you know, I, I want to say one of the reasons why it's so hard is not because of the difficult road ahead, it's because of what we're leaving behind. It, it, being released from here is, is hard and difficult in many ways, and I don't have all the time to share those things with you, but, but being the youth pastor here for years with your children and coming alongside them and, you know, and just this week I was putting boxes away in my office of things and I came across just pictures of, of your kids and moments of praying with them and messages about going after the lost and leaving the 99 for the one. And, and now it's, it's our moment to do the same thing and to be released from here. And what a message to hear tonight and to be able to come and, and to do that. And so basically a year ago, um, in the middle of the pandemic, Brooke and I, we started having frequent conversations about uh, from once a quarter to once a month to once a week to almost every day about laying our lives down, leaving to transform a community, stepping out in faith. We felt this sort of like if your feet are in the water, there's like a current pulling you that you just can't deny and for us, we, did, we had our Caleb moment of going to Nashville and being boots on the ground and scouting the land and having this sense of God like telling us like, it doesn't make sense because we're leaving sunny, sunny Southern California and Centerpoint Church and honestly leaving Pastor John and Pastor Ann's leadership have been, they've been by us. Um, I mean, Christmas Eve, SOS calls to... Uh, protecting us, walking with us, raising us up, being there for us, and um, and Pastor John's more than just a boss. He's a he's a brother to me, 
And, um, and it's hard. It's hard to step out and to leave. Um, but we really, we've been holding on to faith. We're moving, you know, to a place we've never lived before and never seen before. We bought a home we never walked in before. <laughs> we're, we're praying for people we've never met before. This is a total by faith and not by sight season for us. Um, and, and we're just trusting the Lord's goodness in this and that he, if he called us to it, he'll be faithful to, to raise it up. And one of the main reasons that we definitely feel called to the name champion, and if you're wondering, it's because of the many reasons why we need a champion in Nashville. The depression rate is 4% higher than the national average. Um, the, 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 the crime rates are 30% higher out there. Um, the, it's the 10th highest divorce state in America. And for us, we feel called to be those who will rebuild the desert ruins of the city and will rebuild the walls and will be called those who restore homes. That's Isaiah 58, verse 12. We feel called to that. We feel called to champion Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Wow. Well, so uh, here's what I'm going to ask you to pray about. I'm going to ask you to pray about supporting Pastor James and Brooke and their family in this venture. I want you to know that as a, as a whole church community, our board has, for three months, took some time to really pray about what is God doing here and what is our part in it, and determined after a lot of praying that our part is to launch well and to take responsibility for what we can do, which is to say, James is a son of the house, and we want to launch him well into what's next. And uh, part of that is praying, part of that is being a community that's healthy and caring and loving, and part of that's prophesying over him life and belief and what's good, and part of that is, uh, is also giving financially to make sure that this move can happen. And so I want you to know that as a whole church community, we've taken responsibility to the degree we can with uh, a, a pretty good amount of financial support for the next year, roughly about half of their needs. Um, and, uh, and then we're partnering with the Free Methodist Church out in uh, the Tennessee area that's part of the ministry family we're a part of that is making up the difference. But there's still a, a, a large need for moving them across the country and helping them launch the actual church. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And here's what you can do. If you would be willing to pray about this, I want you to pray about giving a one-time offering that would help bless them, launch them well into what's next in their destiny. Uh, this, this is something you can do in a practical way to say, we love you, James. We love you, Brooke. And we're for you. And uh, I'm asking you to pray about doing this. And then not just pray about doing it, but do it. Would you? Uh, and here's what you can do. You can go to mycenterpoint.tv and click on give. And when you do that, uh, there's a drop down. And you'll see it says Champion Church when you drop down. Pick that and make an offering of whatever amount that you feel like the Lord is leading you to make to say, James and Brooke, we love you. We're for you. We hope this gets off to a great start. And maybe when we do our road trip to Nashville next year, we're going to stay at your place. <laughs> Something like that. So uh, be, a, be a supporter. Be a champion of Champion Church. And we get to have this as part of our, our story of Center Point church, is that we get to be uh, the church body that launched James and Brooke into the beginnings of Champion Church. And part of that is even how we get to sow financially into it. So please do it. 
This is a, what I would call a love offering. And in a love offering, the old school way would be to just uh, put, pass a basket. And you would see, man, did I have that extra 20, that extra 100 that I was carrying for some reason? Did I bring my checkbook for a reason, which I never do? We don't pass the buckets anymore, but we do have a moment. And you get on your phone. That's how we do it right now. You get on your phone. You go to the website. You click on give. And you give something. Something that says we love you guys. And if you want to do more than just be a, a, a one-time giver, if you want to be a monthly supporter, I want you to stop by their table. They have a table set up out front in the Connection Center. And you can uh, get to know a little bit more about the vision and how to be a monthly supporter for Champion Church. So let's just take a moment and, uh, and pray together. And God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, that you are always calling us into greater expressions of love. And I pray, Lord, that as a church body, we would be able to express love for James and Brooke in this moment. And that uh, some of us would feel compelled to say a one-time offering to send this brother, to launch him well into what's next, yes. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we do that as a whole community, that this church, that a year from now is going to have hopefully hundreds of people that just are coming to know Jesus, that we got to be a part of it in, in this moment now. And so today we pray your blessing over James and Brooke. And uh, Lord, we do, we give our, our love offering in this moment for your glory and out of our expression of love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say together, amen. Amen. I want you to celebrate Pastor James and Brooke. And let's stand to our feet. And let's honor our God who is bringing revival in Nashville, Tennessee. And right here. And let's honor him. Let's worship together. Let's sing out.